Welcome back to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Louis Studs Turkle. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me a chance to check in with good, hardworking people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special edition of Studs. This is an episode for and by Studs patrons, but I enjoyed our conversation so much that I could hardly resist the temptation to share it with you. It was such an honor and a pleasure to check in with some loyal listeners and to get their hot takes on the Studs pod. If you're a regular listener and you dig what we're trying to do over here at the Studs Pod, you're cordially invited to become a patron over at patreon.com studs. And if you do that, you, my friend, can take a seat at the next working roundtable. Now, let me introduce my distinguished patrons. First, a loyal listener who's been a stud supporter from day one and who will <laughs> one day, I swear, be a guest on the Studs pod, Lori Hoffer. Lori, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you for being here. And you know this distinguished gentleman from our conversation on season four. He's an executive producer in sunny Los Angeles. It's Doc Hollywood himself, Richard Schwartz. Welcome back to the show, Richie. It's great to be back, Dan. Thank you so much. Glad to be with old friends and new friends. A pleasure indeed. And you may remember our third patron from our conversation on season one, but you'll surely remember his alter ego, Howard Maple, the pet eulogist from the Studs inaugural April Fool's episode, joining us from beautiful Evanston, Illinois, where defying our age of polarization, black and white folks unite to keep the poor out. Scott Robin, <laughs> welcome back to Studs. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. So before I begin... I just want to thank you three for supporting this podcast. It's not just about the financial support that you offer, although I am indeed truly grateful for that. All three of you have been bona fide champions of this project from the beginning. You've offered advice and guidance. You've shared studs with your people. And this roundtable is all for you. It's my way to join with you to celebrate and to honor your contributions uh, in addition to feeling a profound sense of gratitude to you, I feel like I owe you the opportunity to reflect on your experiences with the show uh, and to help guide the mission of studs as I look forward to recording the next season. So let's begin here. What studs episodes or moments stand out to you and why? Like maybe you could pick a moment or an episode and explain why that resonates with you. In this time, and I know you allude to it all the time in your intro of social distancing, it has been of extra value to be able to eavesdrop and almost feel a part of these intimate conversations. And it's made me think a lot about what I do. I have to say there's an added level for me personally because so many of your guests or a decent percentage of our people that we grew up with 
including Scott right here, you know, were very prominent aspects of my coming of age and growing up. And, you know, it's been a while since we connected in a real way. And it's so cool to just hear what everybody is doing and how they've developed and their point of view on their work. And so for me, those those podcasts hold a special, like I, when I see a familiar name, I, I, I jump to it in a way. But that said, also meeting some of the people that you've met along the way, Dan, and some people who are based in Berlin or Germany, in a way gives me a window into your journey. And that's the other thing I was going to say is, I, I want to know more about Dan Lazar. If, if I had one wish for season six or whatever it is, I think you have to take your turn in the chair and let everyone ask you the same type of thoughtful and probing questions that you turn on everybody else. <laughs> I believe you just inadvertently signed yourself up to interview me for the season seven episode I'll be doing on teachers and education, which is in the works. And I'm going to have to find some person generous of spirit to interview me. I had the idea to turn the tables and you're giving me some, uh, some more reason to do so. So Scott or Lori, is there an episode that stands out to you that sort of has uh, a special place? The one that stands out to me, and I think because there was something about the two of them, because most of the episodes, is, it's just one person, really, right? And the episode with Reverend Billy yeah. and Amanda, I just love them. They, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I have a secret wish to have my own salon. <laughs> just the way in which they 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 spoke about what they do and their failures and their triumphs, and they're such a great pair. I don't know, just how much they cared about their job. It's about making people feel good, which I think is what a salon should be. And I just I just love their perspective on everything. It was just a joy to listen to them. Yeah, here's a little inside baseball on that. Mm -hmm. I had signed up to do an interview with the good reverend. Mm -hmm. And the night before, I gave him a call just to be like, hey, is everything good for tomorrow? We all set up. You got your microphone, yada, yada. And he's like, hey, man, I, I, I've been reticent to reach out to you on this. I really want to get my wife in on the conversation. And I, and I had no idea that his wife was part of the business. And I'm like, um, okay, okay. Um, what, what does she do? And he's like, he's like, oh, well, she's a co-owner of the salon. She works the front. She does the business. And I'm like, yes, yeah, but please. Cause I'm really interested in duos. I'm really, you know, Lennon, McCartney, bacon and eggs. Like I'm all for, you know, dyads, things that sort of complement each other. Yeah. But I will say that I was really nervous first, cause I'd never done it before. I've never interviewed two people before, but also because I had this fear that maybe some of their, you know, detritus as a middle-aged couple could come out and that I like would have to negotiate them talking over or past each other. There is, in retrospect, no reason to fear that at all. I Like you, I really love the way that they spoke to each other and with each other. And that's really, to me, what made the episode. And so I have a couple episodes coming up, I think, with duos. And so I will satiate, I hope, your interest in that. Scott, is there one episode, other than your own, of course, uh, that really stands out to you? Um, I really love the one with Dave O'Connor. The way that he kind of like hit the ground running, just talking about his sort of origin story. He 
This did a great job of describing what he did, but also giving a lot of compliment to the people that he works with and describing the community that he works with. Yeah, well, Richie had recommended that I, I get in touch with Dave, and I was really reticent to do so, as I think I said on the podcast, because here's a guy who's trying to save us all, and I'm like, oh, Dave, can you be on my... <laughs> Can you be on my podcast? <laughs> and the fact that he was so game so immediately, I think, speaks to his his virtue. And I was really taken aback when about halfway through the episode, he spoke in some detail about how the forward facing facets of his job are his least favorite parts and like how he would really, you know, rather be in the lab and you know doing media and you know, uh, having to talk to big groups of people, for example, really exhaust him, you know, and he's so good at it, but yet it exhausts him. And I think that's like a poetic insight into the challenge of like the wicked smart introvert. And that's maybe one of my big takeaways from that particular episode. As you know, this episode that we're recording here is sort of this interregnum between seasons four and five. And while I do have some sort of a vision for what season five could or should look like, I really would like to know how you three would like to hear the program evolve. Like, what do you want to hear more of or less of on studs? I definitely would love to hear more of Dr. Howard Maple. Um, <laughs> especially the the names of those pets. I mean that if Howard Maple knows a guy who's good at building back end IT who could maybe uh, automatically generate pet names, I think it would be a great combination. Um, beyond that, I would say one thing that kind of interests me, and I, I guess I, I'm always curious when I meet someone, especially in the arts, which I know is a, a focus of yours in the coming season, of what were the conditions that were set up for them to continue or to pursue that? You know, when you meet a musician, what kind of schooling did they have? Did they have lessons? What was their teacher like? What was their interest? How much were they guided by parents or peers? I'm really fascinated in sort of connecting the origin story in a practical way for those of us who are trying to, you know, maybe futilely guide our children to, to certain, <laughs> you know, certain directions. And part of me has realized at this point, you can only do so much and they're going to choose their path, which is great. And maybe part of the, the recipe for that is just to be supportive. But especially when it comes to the arts, I'm, I'm really keenly curious, you know, where that comes from and, and, and how someone sort of stays on that track, even in the face of what we know are all the obstacles of any career, but especially one in, in, in that pursuit. Yeah, I'm totally into that. I'm totally into looking for the Genesis story, particularly if there's a moment and particularly if there's some zigzagging. So many of the stories I've heard on this podcast are people who come about these careers they love by total mistake. Dan Wolf is sitting getting high in his buddy's basement when he's 19 years old and he's looking at the back of a guitar magazine and he's like, wait, there's a school where you can learn to make guitars? Like, wait, people like make guitars? Huh? And he pulls the ad out of the thing and that's the rest of his life. And there's a couple stories like that on the podcast, which I, I, uh, I revel in those. Scott or Lori, how would you like to see the program evolve? I mean, you just mentioned this zigging and zagging, and I think maybe it's because I'm in the creative field and being a freelancer and entrepreneur myself, 
I come across a lot of people that are these multi hyphenate folks who have like five different jobs. Like, you know, they're a writer, you know, they host something on television or, you know, they sort of do three or four things at the same time. And they've sort of throughout the years built all these things up slowly. And I think that's really fascinating because I come across a lot of people these days that are doing that. And I just love, I would love to hear more stories of people who are doing this type of mixed career. That's not really one particular thing only. Yeah. Season eight hustlers, people <laughs> who are just using their various talents to scrap together something called a career. Hustlers. Yeah. Scott, how would you like to see the program evolve? I don't know how you sort of prompt for this, but one of my favorite things, these like sort of little gems that pop up in some of the episodes is when somebody like kind of drops a very like esoteric term to their work or you know, uh, a bit of information like Jason Danver was talking about the difference between a three shift and a four shift model, you know, in scheduling at a fire station, that little stuff, it's, it's kind of tangential to, to what they're talking about and specifically with their work, but it gives me such like a great visual of what they do every day. And, and, you know, Dave was talking about getting the lab set up. Courtney Burns is talking about like, what you call like a stage, like working for free for a day. And all of a sudden it's just like, wow, you like, it's a, brings a totally different facet to to their careers that I wouldn't ever even think of. And then it kind of moves on, but I'd love to hear more of that stuff sprinkled in. One of my greatest challenges in my effort to sort of humbly and earnestly engage with my guests is that I want them to tell their story and to reflect on their working lives the way that they do. A lot of my guests don't appreciate that what they do is actually interesting to other people. And they don't want to dive into the details. But that's where the fascination is. Listening to the mailman talk about what he does in the morning and how he like sets up his case to load his mail truck. That little detail yeah. made that. And even like how their, their, their backs were facing each other. You know, it's like a small little detail about how they all stand back, you know, with not even looking at each other. Yeah. Like lets you kind of see what that room looks like and think about what it must be like for them. And so what I'm struggling to do, and sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail miserably, is like create a space where guests fully appreciate that I fully appreciate what they do and that they should feel empowered to dive into the weeds because that's what really illustrates their work. And it's interesting when I try to marry, you know, what you want more of in the show, Scott, with what you want, Richie, because I think what a lot of people want to do is tell their story, you know, tell their Genesis story, you know, weave a narrative, but often the details get lost in that narrative. And so the episodes I'm most proud of are the ones where I'm able to do those two things. You know, embolden people to tell their version of their story, but not lose the detail that really brings it all alive. So I will take all of that very much to heart. I take you three very much to heart. And so I owe it to you, my dear patrons, uh, to field any questions you might have about the Studs Pod. Um, I guess I'll relish the opportunity to reflect and, yeah, I'd be honored to satiate any of your curiosities. I mean, I have to imagine as a creator of a podcast that you're also an appreciator of podcasts. I'm, I'm just sort of curious, 
you yourself, like who are some of the podcasters that you look up to and, you know, or ones that you sort of model yourself after or, or who've used, used as inspiration for this podcast? Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll try. I'll give you my, uh, I'll give you my Mount Rushmore, uh, even though I believe I asked you who was on your Mount Rushmore, uh, in, in, in the episode recorded and you're like, ah, burn all the idols, <laughs> crack all the statues. But <laughs> the genesis story of my almost fetish for interviews was Terry Gross, right? Like, I know it's sort of like cliche, but all those driveway moments, listening to Terry Gross interview people on, you know, 91.5, our NPR station in Chicago, WBEZ. She's just so selfless and so humble. It's just so not about her. And she came to mean so much to me. And yet I knew almost nothing about her. (laughs) And in fact, I should say, I learned more about her through an interview that she did with Mark Marin, And I guess that would be like a second person that was a huge influence on me. And while my podcast seeks to kind of repudiate some of the navel-gazing of the celebrity interview, you know, Mark Marin, I will confess, you know, quite openly and quite proudly is a huge influence on me. And unlike Terry Gross, you know, where it's not about her at all, you know, the WTF podcast is very much about Mark, but he's not comfortable with that. And he kind of like grapples with his podcast being all about him. He like has this really open ego struggle. But what what attracts me to Mark Marin is that he's so present. That guy is so emotionally available. And as a middle-aged man who maybe didn't grow up with the best male role models... Mark Marin has really taught me a lot about vulnerability. So I'd say Terry Gross and Mark Marin. I guess I'd have to say Studs Turkle, mm-hmm. you know, who was a huge voice in my life, always a voice in my head. But I, you know, maybe I should say why, right? Like he's just endlessly curious. Studs Turkle has to be the most earnestly curious person to ever walk the face of the earth. And the way that that manifests is beautiful to me. Like I get like emotional thinking about it. Like he has equal interest in a street sweeper and James Baldwin. And there's not too many people like that in the world. And I really aspire to be that way, to have like the same level of engagement, the same level of respect you know, for the for, for the street sweeper and James Baldwin. I, I think Studs is a bona fide American treasure and one of the most beautiful spirits to ever grace our planet. There's four people on Mount Rushmore, so I have to uh, here's one. A little a little left field. Do you guys ever watch the show Hot Ones with Sean Evans? For for our listeners, everybody's nodding yes. Lori, did you you nod yes? I know Scott and Richie did. Have you seen the show Hot Ones? Well, I think actually in a conversation you told me to go and listen to it, and I haven't had a chance yet, but it's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you that whether I want to admit it or not, the Hot Ones show has an influence on me. Um, <laughs> for our listeners who perhaps uh, don't know about Hot Ones, uh, this middle-aged bald dude from Illinois interviews, you know, pretty much celebrities, but over 10 hot wings or vegan wings that get progressively hotter. 
And I think the way Sean Evans sort of pushes the boundaries of the the interview format uh, is interesting. But he also the way he kind of embraces the camp and like the way his thing is like very particularly structured does me some good. So I guess those would be my my four. I don't know. I'll I'll probably think of five more and I'll put them in the show notes to this episode. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's that's Scott's question. Sorry, there's such a long answer. I promise my answer my answers won't. <laughs> won't be so long. <laughs> the brilliance of that Hot Ones is the idea of like getting someone to focus on something else. It's the same as like comedians in cars, you know, the interest of watching somebody do something. It sort of distracts you enough to, I think, not overthink your answers sometimes. And uh, so here's my question for you, Dan. Yeah. If you could come up with an activity for your guests and you to be doing over the, the the Zoom or whatever it is, what would that be? What a shame that my first instinct is to say drinking whiskey, right? What a, what a terrible what a terrible answer. I love that answer. It is it is eleven a.m. in Los Angeles right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but give me a half hour. Uh, you got it, man. You know. I was really kind of hoping we could have this conversation without having to deploy the word pandemic. But here we go. One of the the gifts that this pandemic has bestowed upon me is what I'm sure will be a lifelong appreciation for walking and talking. I don't know how I managed to sit on a bar stool for as many hours of my life as I have. The energy that I get in conversations from moving is so inspiring. And I just, the, the scenery is changing and just like the effect of the physical movement on the discussion. The contours of conversations change in substantial ways if we just move around. And perhaps this is, you know, analogous to the to the conceit of comedians in cars getting coffee, right? Like there's this movement and that makes all the difference in the world. And so it would be cool to somehow or another create these conversations in a space that was a little more physically energetic. And especially for me, you know, look, I have these conversations, you know, it's currently 8.30 at night in Berlin. I wake up at five most mornings, 4.30 or five. So being up and being moving, especially if it's so late at night, that would be something I'd like to add to it. Um, and of course, I'm gonna come up with an infinitely better answer tomorrow and regret it. But Lori, is there anything you'd like to ask about the Studs podcast? I am fascinated with the sort of the tonal change and what seems to be like an attitude change with the participants from the beginning to the end. And that's kind of one of my favorite things. People usually feel, I don't know, they are sort of more centered in themselves, more confident about what they do. And they almost have like a mini inside epiphany that, okay, what they do is actually kind of interesting and wow, like a bit out of themselves. And, and I love that. And I was wondering maybe there's a way to... I don't know, capture that better or... Yeah. I love that part. Me too. I have had three episodes out of the 35 
were at the end of the conversation. I ask them if they'll do me this favor. I say, you know how at the beginning I said, welcome to studs, how do you describe what you do? Can you answer that again for me? And I'll put it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their answer actually like has the energy and the self-respect that it deserves. Yeah. Another thing that I started doing for season five that I hadn't done before is I now have a 15-minute phone call with my guests before we record, like days or weeks before we record, so that they have a more clear idea of what I'm trying to do, and so that they feel a little more empowered, maybe, to hit the floor running. Um, but you're still, I think we're still going to get like that tonal shift and people settle in. I love that part too. Yeah. So the tone of these conversations is something I'm particularly concerned about with a forthcoming season of studs. I'm soon to record a season on the working life of artists of all mediums. I have been speaking with friends of mine who are working artists and getting some much needed consultation. I will confess that I'm a little bit concerned to talk to artists here in a time where a lot of artists are struggling mightily, unprecedentedly, to just do what they love to do. And so I'm talking to some of my friends about like maybe what I shouldn't be talking about and what I should be extra sensitive about. I wonder what you three would like to learn from that season that I record with artists. What would you like to learn? Like, what would you ask? I will take notes. So one of the things that I think was like a little bit of a theme that came up here today is that a lot of the guests that you have on kind of meander from one thing to another and then eventually end up in a career. And I'm not sure if this is true, but it seems like an artist knows from a young age that they want to do art and they're kind of bombarded by side jobs, but they kind of eventually keep that straight line into becoming artists. And, and so I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, what it's like to know that from a very young age and to sort of stay focused and, and persevere to get to a point where that becomes your career. The whole thing takes so much courage. Like even just to say, I'm an artist let alone to do it. Yeah. The courage of these people is so underappreciated. Great. I appreciate that. I will, I will find a way to frame up questions. Lori, Richie, you're both very creative and compassionate people. What would you like to know about the working lives of a painter or a dancer or a sculptor? What I'm interested and just because I've been reading a little bit about this digital art lately, this kind of Bitcoin NFT situation where um, a, a piece sold at Christie's for $69 million, That's like a Bitcoin digital. I know nothing about this except for a couple articles that I read. I really want to learn what this is and understand better how this might affect the art world in general and other artists. That's an area I would love to learn more about. Yeah. One thing that I want to dive into that I am going to do 
very cautiously is to try to get into you know, the business side of the fine art world. But I need to find a way to do so that isn't like, oh, so like, how do you make money as an artist? But artists have to think about making a living. And while that doesn't necessarily compromise what they do or their integrity as creators, you know, they have to think about it all the time and like dealing with like the gallery world. Ugh, are you serious? I, so, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm totally interested in that and I need to find a way to frame some stuff up. Richard, you, you work with artists. I do work with artists quite a bit. And I like what Laurie said about the commonalities. And one of the things I really love about this podcast is finding the common threads among such a range of jobs. Like, still, everyone has to deal with so many of the similar dynamics and people. One thing I do think that's a little bit different when you are an artist, and I think this can encompass being a chef, and you know, obviously the, the, the definition of art can be fairly broad, but unlike, say, somebody who's um, working in a lab or working on programming, everyone has an opinion if you're an artist about stuff that you put out. It's something I've experienced working on television shows, but whether it's a, a performance or a piece, you're, you're putting it out there. And like you said, it is very brave to do so, but also you're vulnerable because everyone can have an opinion on a piece of art. And they're often very willing to share that opinion. You know, that's always something everyone navigates a little bit differently. And it's sort of part of the deal when you get into that world. So I think people accept it. And I'm interested in how people, how artists process that feedback, whether it's from the world at large or from their own community, their own families, their friends, how that can be helpful, but also how to stay convicted in your own vision, even in spite or with the help of all of the feedback solicited and largely unsolicited that you sometimes get when you open yourself up to, to expressing yourself in a public way. Yeah. The vulnerability that is part and parcel of all creative and artistic pursuits is definitely worthy of exploration. And I think particularly in our age, as you said, where everyone's kind of encouraged or even demanded to have an opinion. And they have to have that opinion immediately. Thank you. All three of your responses will honestly guide me in my framing of my questions as I begin to think about the contours of these conversations with artists, which I'm set to start recording in the, in the forthcoming weeks. Perhaps with artists in mind, perhaps not, I owe it to you, my dear patrons, to try to get on the podcast people that you are interested in. I'd like to give each of you a chance to recommend a person or a job that you would like explored on the podcast. By the way, I should say Barack Obama is taken. Apparently, he's got his own podcast now. That's what I'm competing with, uh, Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, they have a podcast together. 
hanging out talking, or you could listen to Lazar, like try to, uh, you know, channel Studs Terkel. Either way, you know, whatever you want to do with that one free hour you have in your day. Rock and Bruce, overrated. overrated. <laughs> what have they ever done? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, who would you like to hear on the podcast? I mean, you already had on a, a U.S. attorney. I, I would love to hear um, someone else or some people like inside government. Maybe not necessarily elected officials, but people that work inside of government, make government function. I kind of feel like we have, in many ways, a lot of times a negative view of government nowadays, and, and a lot of that is attributed to elected officials. But there's a, a huge number of people that just keep government functioning. And I feel like it would be interesting to sort of hear that and maybe reshape the narrative around what it means to work inside a government. I'm in. And I say this to my students with some frequency. Government is chock full of people who are bona fide public servants from head to toe. And we're watching the wrong people. I couldn't agree with you more. And I would love to get some civil servants on the program. I don't even know why. We don't even use the term civil servants regularly in the United States, in Britain and in Germany. You hear that term daily, like the notion of servitude. But anyway. On that note, Dan, though, I would... One of the benefits of this show that I think you could still continue to tap is the scope of it, is the international base of it. Because so many of the podcasts I listen to are such a North American-centric point of view, and especially when you're talking about attitudes and experiences in institutions like government. I would love to hear the same job interviewed among maybe a few different countries or cultures and to be able to sort of compare and contrast the fundamental differences that are there, but also recognize what those similarities are. You're on, pal. I owe it to you, and I'm glad we share that interest. Last but certainly not least, Lori, a guest or a job? Well, there's one guest, uh, an artist friend of mine who is amazing. Um, her name is Vanessa Enriquez, and she is a Mexican artist, but she has yeah, lived in many places around the world, and she went to art school in the U.S. She spent a lot of time in France, but she does really interesting experiential pieces and she's like a sculptor she uses all different mediums i won't tell you too much because you need to speak with her but she's based in berlin and she's one of these people who has made it work lots of energy hook a brother up will do will do all right just to drive this train into the station i had this thought like all three of you are successful. You're successful in your work. You're successful at juggling what we sometimes call a work-life balance. You're all active parents. You seem to have figured something out, something that I <laughs> continue to struggle with. A lot of my listeners are former students of mine and current students of mine, people in their teens, 20s, 30s. I wonder what advice you might have for them. Like, what would you tell, say, your 18-year-old self about how to engage with work? What do you know now that you wish you knew then about working? I think we all feel a lot of pressure 
you know, at 18 or 22, that whatever that first, the, the course of study is, whatever the first job is, is going to set the template for your life. As has we've already spoken about, the zigs and the zags are not only part of the journey, but actually make it that much more fulfilling. And I remember putting a lot of pressure on myself with some decisions early on that felt like they had huge stakes. And in retrospect, also like we alluded to, some of the forks in the road were completely unanticipated and had nothing to do with what were seemingly the big choices we were making at the time. I guess what I what I would say is go easy on yourself. Try a lot of different things and don't feel the pressure that you're locking yourself into a single path. Your empathy levels are high, sir. Thank you. Lori, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? To take some time. We're so busy at that age, but I would have really benefited from a year in between high school and college, like just to travel or even try different jobs, go painting for a year. It would have really given me that extra time to think and explore and get back to myself. Because that last year, 16, 17, 18, you're very busy finishing everything up for college. So yeah, just take the time you need. One year is not going to put you behind. That's what I would say. Scott Robin. I think it was right around then, maybe a little bit older, that somebody first introduced the term networking to me. And I, I, I really misinterpreted what that meant, or, or it was explained poorly, if, if I could blame it on someone else. <laughs> I, I thought it was a deliberate thing, a very deliberate focused thing, and appealing to people that could influence the course of my life. But I think what, what I eventually came to understand is that it was more about supporting my peers who were you know, at the same level and interest as me, and that eventually we would sort of all come up together and, and create a community together, and that would be a group of people that we could come to rely on to help us or you know, to give help to. And I think that's one of the things that I really liked about Dave's uh, episode recently, was hearing how that, that group of research labs was all just peers you know, that sort of came up together and created this environment. I would like to have had a better understanding of that earlier on. Well, you three, my peers, are a constant source of support and guidance for this podcast. I can't thank you enough for your willingness to engage in this working roundtable with me. I want to thank you for being patrons of the podcast in every way that you all support me. It means the world to me to know that there are people like you you three in particular, who actually have an honest interest in this project. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me inspired. You three inspire me. Thank you for being on the podcast, and thank you for supporting the project. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for doing what you do. (laughs) And there you have it, my friends, the second patrons-only working roundtable. I'm feeling pretty lucky to have such splendid patrons. These are some bona fide salt-of-the-earth people. 
Hope you enjoyed our conversation. And of course, you're invited to join the conversation. Become a patron of the Studs Pod. Head over to patreon.com slash studs. There's a fledgling community over there, and I just count myself lucky to be part of it. All right, my people, keep your spirits up. Season five is just around the corner. Please be well, strive for joy, and I'll catch you soon.